0: Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential, with your host, Lisa Tarmati. Brought to you by lisatarmati.com.
1: Well, welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week I have Dr. John DiMartini. He is a world-renowned speaker, a teacher, educator, researcher, medical doctor. He's written I don't know how many books, countless, countless books. He's an incredible, incredible man who teaches literally thousands and thousands of people every year in his breakthrough experience. The information that you're going to get in this podcast could change your life. So I'm giving you a fair warning. He's an amazing. Incredible man that, and I've talked to a lot of uh, incredible people, but this one is really uh, next level. Uh, started out as a big wave surfer in Hawaii way back in the day, even knew Lead Hamilton uh, and people like that, uh, had learning disabilities and could hardly read or write, and yet. Managed to overcome all of these things to become one of the greatest scholars that there is. He's read over thirty thousand books. Uh, He is has distilled the knowledge from people right through the ages, through leaders and philosophers and Stoics and uh, scientists. He's an expert in so many different areas, and he teaches people in business. He teaches people how to overcome massive challenges in their life. So I really hope that you enjoy this. Episode. It is going to get uncomfortable in places because we talk about, you know, really being accountable, really understanding your own physiology, and uh, just so much more. An absolutely amazing, amazing interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Before we head over to the show, just a reminder we have our patron membership for the podcast, Pushing the Limits. If you want to join our VIP tribe, we would love you to come and do that. It's about the price of a cup of coffee a, a, a month and or two if you want to join on the the premium level uh we would love you to come and join us support the show help us get this work out there we are passionate about what we do we want to change lives we want to improve your life we want to improve the lives of others and we need your help to do that to keep the show going so please head over to com. check out all the uh, premium vip member benefits there and support the show be a part of this community. Be a part of this tribe. Help support us. And reach out to, you know, to me or the, or the team if you have any questions around any of the topics, or any of the guests that have come up. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Any feedback is always welcome. Please always give a rating and review to the show as well on iTunes or whatever platform that you listen to. That is really, really helpful as well. We do appreciate you doing that. And as a reminder, please also check out our epigenetics program. We have a a system now that can personalize and optimise your entire life to your genetics so check out our programme what it's all about this is based on the work of hundreds of scientists not our work it's it's, um, been developed over the last 20 years from 15 different science disciplines all working and collaborating together on this one technology platform that will help you understand your genes and apply uh, the information to your life so check that out go to lisatamati.com and hit the work with us button and you'll see their peak epigenetics check out that program and while you're there if you're a runner check out our running hot coaching program as well customized personalized training plans made specifically for you for your goals you get a video analysis you get a consultation with me and that's all in a very uh, well-priced package so check that out at runninghotcoaching.com now over to the show with dr john demartini Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Pushing the Limits. Today, I am super excited for my guest. My guest is an absolute superstar. Welcome to the show, firstly and foremostly. Thank you very much for taking the time out today, Dr. John. I'm just really excited to have you. Uh, Whereabouts are you you sitting in the world?
0: I am in Houston, Texas. Houston. I'm I'm in a hotel room in Houston, Texas, even though it shows that I've got a library.
1: Yeah, I love that background. That is a background. That is a fantastic background, <laughs> really great uh, well, greetings to Texas and um, hope that everything is going well over there for you today. I wanted to talk about you, your work, the breakthrough experience, some of the learnings, and the exciting uh, mission that you 've been on for now over for, for forty seven years I believe. Um, something yeah. crazy like that. Um, so, Dr. John, can you just give us a little bit of a background on you and your 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 life and what you do on a day-to-day basis?
0: <laughs> Big question. Um, I'm an educator, a researcher, a writer. Um, I do a lot of interviews and filming for documentaries. I've been spending 48 years now, 48. over 48 years, on um, doing anything I can to help human beings maximize their potential, their awareness potential and achieve whatever it is that they're inspired to achieve. So that could be raising a beautiful family, to building a massive business, to becoming fortunate or celebrity. I don't It doesn't matter. It's whatever it is that inspires them. I've been studying human behavior and anything and everything I can get my hands on for the last 48 years to assist people in mastering their life. So that's what I love doing. I do it every day. I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing. So I just do it.
1: It's a bit of a role model for me, Dr. John, because I, you know, uh, I I think what you've achieved in this time, and the way you've distilled information. I mean, you've, you've studied, well, last time I looked on one of your podcasts, it was over 30,000 books. It's probably more now. And you've distilled the information from great masters throughout history into practical things that humans today can actually benefit from. Is that a good assessment of what you basically yeah. have
0: done? I'm writing right now a 1,200-page textbook on philosophers and great minds through the ages. So wow. I'll summarize it. I love <laughs> I love studying uh, and learning anything I can from those people that have done extraordinary things and then passing that on. So, wow. yes. Uh, right now, I'm actually. I just uh, finished. I'm just finishing up Albert Einstein, which is one of <laughs> my my uh, my heroes. I had a dream when I was young, when I saw that E equals MC squared drawn on that board. I wanted to find out where that board was, and I went to Princeton um, and met with Freeman Dyson, who took over his position at Princeton in 1955. Wow! Spent. Part of a day with him and we're talking on cosmology and I wrote my formula on that same board exactly at the same place because that was a that was a dream that I had since I was probably 18, 19. Wow you got to fulfill it and actually live it yeah that was a that was a it took me a, a bit of time it took me <laughs> time, but, but so what you know yeah but yeah I I love anybody who's done something extraordinary on the planet in any field uh I love devouring their journey yep. and their thinking that's every Nobel prize winner I've gone through and every wow. great philosopher and thinker and business leader and financial leader spiritual leader to try to find out and distill out what is the very essence that drives human beings and what is it they that allows them to do extraordinary things because wow. I wanted to do that with my life and most of the people I get in front of want to feel like they want to make a massive difference. They want to make a difference in the world. They want to do something that's deeply meaningful, inspiring. And so, yeah, why not Why not put your hand in the pot of glue and let the glue stick and then pass it on? Instead
1: of having to reinvent the wheel, why not? So, Dr. John, can you give us a little bit of history, though? Because you, you're obviously an incredible scholar, have an incredible mind, but as a child, you, you struggled with learning and with reading and writing. And can you give us a little, how the heck did you go from being this kid that struggled with all of that to where you are today, one of the greatest well, minds out there?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely had some learning challenges. I had a speech challenge when I was a year and a half old to, mm-hmm. to four. I had to wear buttons in my mouth and put strings in my mouth and practice using all kinds of muscles. I went to a speech pathologist. When I was in first grade, uh, no matter what the teacher was trying to do, I just couldn't read. And um, my teacher had my parents come to the school and said, you know, your son's not able to read. He's not going to be able to write effectively because I wrote kind of backwards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't think he's going to amount to anything go very far in life. Put him into sports because <laughs> I, like, I like to run. <laughs> and uh, I did sports there for a while, but then I, I uh, went from baseball to surfing and um, I hitchhiked out to California and down Mexico and then made it over to Hawaii so I could ride big waves. And I was doing big wave riding and stuff when I was a teenager. So I didn't have academics. I dropped out of school and I was a street kid from 13 to 18. But then right before 18, I nearly died. And that's when I met Paul Bragg who inspired me one night in a presentation. And that night I... I got so inspired that I thought maybe I could overcome my learning problems by applying what this man just taught me. And maybe someday I could learn to read and, and write and speak properly. Wow. And that wow. was such an inspiration, such a moment of inspiration that it changed the course of my life.
1: It just turned. And I had to wonder. go back.
0: Yeah. I had to go back and, you know, I, with the help of my mom, I went and got a dictionary out um, and, and, Started to read a dictionary and memorize 30 words a day until my vocabulary. I had to spell the word, pronounce the word, use it with a meaningful sentence, and develop a vocabulary. And eventually, doing that 30, we would we wouldn't go to bed. I didn't go to bed until I had 30 new words really inculcated. And um, my vocabulary grew, and I started to learn how to do the reading. And it was not an easy project, but man, once I got a hold of it, I never stopped. And once no, you started I, to read, you didn't stop. I, I've never stopped. I've, I've been um, a voluminous reader now, you know, 48 years. So that's just incredible.
1: Can't so was it a, a dyslexia or a learning disability? I just asked, because my mum was a, a teacher uh, of children with dyslexia and, and things like that. Uh, was there specific ways that you were able to overcome this, the, the disability, so to speak?
0: Yeah, I just sheer. Uh, persistence mm. and determination to want to read and learn. I remember I took my first, I took a GED test, a general education, high school equivalency test. And I guessed, mm. literally guessed. I closed my eyes. I said this little affirmation that Paul Bragg gave me that I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom <laughs> and some miraculous thing may be that test. Wow. I, I, I didn't know how to read half the stuff that was on it. I just went with my intuition and guessed And then I tried to go to a a college after taking that test and another test. And I failed. And I remember driving home crying because I I had this idea that I was going to learn how to teach and become intelligent. And then when I got a 27, everybody else got 75 and above. I got a 27. Yeah. And I I thought, well, there's no way it's going to work. But then i i sat there and i cried and my mom came home from shopping and she saw me crying on the living room floor and she said son what happened what's wrong i said mom i, I failed the test i guess i don't have what it takes and i repeated what the first grade teacher said i guess i'll never read or write or communicate effectively or amount to much um, i guess i'll go back to hawaii and make surfboards and surf yeah i was pretty good at that and she said to me something that was a real mind-bender she put her hand on me and she said son whether you become a great teacher and philosopher and travel the world like you dream, whether you return to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done or return to the streets and panhandle like you've done. I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what you do. Wow. What a mom. (laughs) What a mom. That that was an amazing moment Mm. when she said that my hand went into a fist of determination. Yep. And I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and studying and learning. I'm going to master this thing called teaching and philosophy. And then I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. Wow. And I got up and I hugged her. And I said to myself, and I'm not going to let any human being on the face of the earth stop me, not even myself. And I got up, wow. and I hugged her, and I went to my room. And that's when I decided, with her help, to do the dictionary. Yeah. Um, that was and an you- amazing turning point.
1: And yes. I can feel the the emotion and the and the the what a wonderful mum you had. I mean, what a yeah. the, the perfect thing to say, you know, when someone's you down. A, you
0: could have got it was the most if she hadn't have said that, I might have gone back to surfing.
1: Yeah. I might yeah. be a
0: surfer today. Which
1: would have been a good thing as well, probably, because
0: yeah. we, today, we, like, there's, surfing there's is great. <laughs> you didn't make money in those days, right? No. Not in the late sixties and seventies, early seventies, but but um yeah. Now, you know, the guys I surfed with, Laird Hamilton. and, and Wow. You
1: know, He's a uh, hero.
0: He's amazing. You know, ben Ipa and Jerry Lopez and, uh, and these guys, those are the guys I surfed with. And so those guys went on to be, you know, incredible. I wasn't aware and of I it. Same, I lived at the same beach park in Holly. Well, where, where Iakai beach park is near pipeline between Rocky point and pipeline. Uh Laird Hamilton was dropped off by his mother there and lived there on the beach. I lived up on where the park bench was and we lived right there. And I saw him on the beach each morning. He was what? seven. I was, I was 16. He was going on seven. I was almost 17. And uh, we lived there at the same place and Bill Hamilton saw him out there and grabbed him and took him in and trained him on surfing and found his mom and then married the mom. And that's <laughs> how he became perfect. So that was, that's, I hung out with those those characters, legends.
1: You became a legend in this direction, and Laird became a legend in a different direction.
0: Well, there, there's a just there's amazing. a book out called High Surf by Tim Baker, that from Australia. Yeah. That uh, he he wrote a book on people that rode big waves, and he 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 said, "I'd like to put you in there." And I said, "Well, I haven't. I didn't go on to be the the superstar in that area like these other guys." He said, "But I want you in there because you became a you became a educator. superstar." Yeah. <laughs> so it just.
1: Do you think that there's, you know, I come from a surfing family. My, my brother's a big wave surfers in New Zealand, and I've tried and failed miserably. <laughs> that stuck to running. I was better at it. Um, but So do you think there's a correlation between the mindset that you developed as a surfer? Because going in those big waves is scary. It's, it's daunting. It's frightening. It's challenging. It's teaching you a lot. Is there a lot that you took from that for this journey that you've been on?
0: Yeah, I didn't surf anything more than forty foot waves. I think that was about as good as the <laughs> Goodest, about as big as you get back in the '70s, '80s. You know, '70s is when I was surfing. Oh, just I, I, a mere forty. That's okay man. <laughs> well, forty foot waves was the biggest thing. Out, Outer Reef Pipeline was the big day. They they hadn't had towing surfing yet. That was just that wasn't begun yet. Yeah. So there was you know that idea. We had to catch those waves, and that was not easy because they're too big to catch. No. you got to have big long boards, and you got to really paddle to get into those waves, and it's usually too late. Wow. But, but, uh, you know, I think some of those, I used to surf 11 hours a day sometimes. So (laughs) so when you're really, really committed to doing something, that's, Einstein said perseverance is the key to making things happen. You know, if you just stay with something. So if you're not inspired to do something enough to put in the hours and put in the the effort and you don't have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of kind of mentoring, you, you probably are not going to excel as much, but, yeah, I I did that, and then I just converted that over into reading eighteen to twenty hours a day. Wow, I reading once I learned to read. So I <laughs> I just and I still voluminously read. I mean I I read every single day.
1: That is that is incredible. And so you've taken that 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 big wave mindset a little bit over into something else. So obviously everything you do you do to the nth degree. We can probably agree on that one.
0: Um, yeah, you do it, probably do it well. I, I'm surfing the cosmic waves now, yeah. I'm and 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 surfing big cosmic waves, radio waves that are big waves. guess yeah. that's the. I moved from water waves into electromagnetic waves. Wow, wow!
1: Now you run something called the Breakthrough Experience, which you've been doing now for forty-eight something years, and this is a, a, a philosophy and a system and a, a a program that really changes lives and has changed lives all over the planet. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what you've distilled from all this information that you have in your incredible mind and what you teach in this course and how this can actually help people today, right now, listening
0: to this? Well, um, the Breakthrough Experience is sort of my attempt to do what that gentleman did to me when I was 17. Cool. And um, I've done it 1,121 times. Wow. <laughs> I presented that course. And I keep records of it. I'm a metric freak. And um, every human being lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important. <laughs> Podcast Love. Welcome to it. I thought that was off, but I didn't quite get it off. <laughs> so good. Um, but whatever is highest on a person's values – Priorities, whatever is truly deeply meaningful to them, the thing that is spontaneously inspiring for them to, that they can't wait to get up in the morning and do. If they identify that and structure their life by priority, delegating the lower priority things and getting on with doing that, they will build momentum, incremental momentum, and start to excel and build what we could say is a legacy in the world. And so the breakthrough experience is about accessing that state and breaking through the limitations that we make up in our mind and transforming whatever experiences you have into on the way, not in the way. So no matter what goes on in your life, uh, you can use it to catalyze a transformation and movement towards what it is that you're committed to. And if you're not clear about it, it would show you how to do it because many people subordinate to people around them and cloud the clarity of what's really inspiring from within them. And they let the herd instinct... Um, you know, stop them from, you know, being heard. Yep. And I, I think that uh, the breakthrough experience is, is, my attempt to do whatever I can with all the tools that I've been blessed to, to, you know, gather, to assist people in creating a life that is extraordinary, inspiring, and amazing for them. And I'm, I, I'll do whatever it takes in the program. I don't know what it's going to be. I've seen six-year-olds in there write books afterwards. I've seen uh, nine-year-olds go on to be get a deal with Disney for $2.2 million. I've seen wow. people in business, you know, break through plateaus. I've seen people who have major issues with relationships break through. I don't know what it's going to be. I've seen celebrities go to new levels. I've seen people that, that have health issues that heal. I mean, I'm there, every imaginable thing you see breaking through, I've seen in that course. And it's the same principles applied now into different areas of life in any area of our life, we don't empower, the world's going to overpower us on. And I'm I'm showing, I want to show people how to not let anything on the outside world interfere with what's inside.
1: And you talk about, um, it's on the way, the the challenges that we have, to look at the challenges that we have and ask how is this going to actually help me get wherever I am? And this is something that I've managed to do a couple of times in my life really well, other times not so good. But where I've taken a really massive challenge, I had my listeners know I had a, a mum who had a massive aneurysm five years ago and we were told she would never have any quality of life again, massive brain damage. And I just went, know that's not happening on my watch and I'm going to, there is somebody and something in the world that can help with her. And this became my my mantra that I was going to get her back or die trying. And it was that total dedication that I you know brought to her because of love when you love someone. You are able to mobilise the last resources that you have, and it you know nearly bloody killed me as far as the whole uh, the effort that went into it and the the cost and the emotional cost and the physical and the health and all the rest of it. It took me three years to get her back to health, full health, and she's now got her full driver's license back and her full you know, independent life back and as my wonderful mum again. And that was coming from a state of being in a vegetative state, not much over a vegetative state, at least. Um, hardly any higher function, no speech, no move, being able to move anything. No, that's a no. book
0: there. That's a book or a movie. It, it, it's the book there. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a book and a movie for sure.
1: Exactly. And and this is very powerful because I saw this. And, you know, when you're in the darkness and and everybody is telling you There is no hope. There is no chance. And these are medical professionals who have been to medical school who have a hell of a lot more authority than you. And you just go, no, I am not accepting that because that alternative means death, basically. Decline and death and being in an institution. And that is not what I'm going to. So I'm going to find somebody who can help me. And I did, and I found hundreds of people, actually, and this is what's tipped me into doing what I'm doing now, is finding world-leading experts to give me the next piece of the puzzle for her and for the people now that are following me so that I can help empower people not to be limited by the people who tell us we can't do something. Because that means, basically, they don't have the answer, not that there is no answer, is is my understanding. And they were right. It was the hardest thing I've ever done but I did it and my mum is alive and she's well and that book I really want to empower people with the story and I see that same like uh, the, obviously your passion and your you, what, what you went through with your learning problems when you were young and your mum standing beside you has actually propelled you into this to this lifelong journey that I find absolutely fascinating because that passion, and I can see that passion in you, is still very much alive 48
0: years later because you're doing what your priority is. I'm definitely doing what I love doing. You know, it's interesting. Your your story reminded me of something that happened to me when I was 27. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't mind, I'd like to share this story. Please, please do. Pretty intentional. So I uh, graduated from my professional school. And I had a bit of a reputation there of being kind of the taking the cream of the crud clients, you know, patients that were turned down everywhere else. I would just tackle it. See, see what we can do with it. And I got a, a, a family from Mexico with a son that fell three stories off an apartment complex onto the ground on his head. Oh. And he had, uh, went into a coma, been in a coma for three and a half years. Oh, and the mother, uh, the, they assumed he was dead a few times, but there was still a breath. There was yep. still some movement. It wasn't a strong breath. You couldn't see it, but you could put a mirror in front of it. You get a little bit of breath out of it. So he wasn't dead. And he had de rigidity. So his whole body was so rigid that when I saw him, you could lift up his feet and his whole body would rock. It was so stiff. Wow. And his hands were like this and his yep. feet were deep. a classical de-server Yep. And um, he had gone to throughout different hospitals in Mexico, where he was from and nobody accepted him. They came to America. They went to the medical center at, at uh, in Houston, which is the largest medical center in America. And they got rejected. No one would accept him. Said, so there's nothing we can do. They went out to the professional school that I had gone to and they said, we can't do anything, but we know this interesting character, <laughs> West, West Houston. If there's anybody that would try something, this guy might try, who knows. Wow. And they sent him to my office. And I remember when they came in, they carried him wrapped up in a white sheet and laid him on the armrest of the chairs of my my office. Oh. And, I, and I, I looked out there and I saw this Mexican man and woman and seven or eight other kids in a family oh. come in this. At first, I didn't know what, what this was. It's this thing wrapped up in this sheet. They came down my hallway and I saw him going down the hallway. And I'm going, what on earth is this? Yeah then they unveiled him in my exam room and there was this 58 pound tube in his nose coma case wow. that was like, he was so stiff. It was ridiculous. I mean, his, he had gauze on his chin and his hand was rubbing on it and to protect the chin from having an ulcer. And uh, it, it had an odor to him and they had, it was just nothing, just Incredible. stare. Wow. Yeah. You wow. just sat there and go, but the mother and father said, no, he's still alive. Yeah. 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 And and, and please help. So yeah. I didn't really have much to do an exam with. So I got and we took him in and did a film of his spine and his, his, his skull from the history. And we found his foramen magnum. His his skull was jammed down on his spinal cord and his spinal cord was up in his foramen magnum. This, the wow. opening wow. in the bottom wow. of the skull, the oxygen. And I thought that night when I was developing those films and I looked at that, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I lifted that skull. Yeah. Wow. If I got that off. It could, could it something happen? Yep. And I was scared because you just don't do that. You know, no, you, just,
1: you could, yeah.
0: Yeah. He could die just instantly.
1: But, but I thought, left.
0: okay. And I sent him over to this health food store to get him some liquid vitamins and minerals and amino acids to try to get nutrients in him Cause they, they were feeding him beans and rice with liquid. It was just crazy. And, um, so the next day he came in and we had uh, four doctors on a preceptorship visiting my office. One doctor that was working for me, one assistant, the seven or eight kids plus him and the mother and father in this little room, it was packed. And, and I said to him that I, I saw that on the film, something that might have, you know, may could help. I don't know. I can't guarantee it, but it, we, if I did a particular maneuver, it might open up the brain function. And the little woman held on to her husband. And she said, if he dies, he dies. If he lives, we rejoice. But please help There's us. Oh. We have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Wow. When she said that there was something that took over me. I can't describe it. It was like a, a very powerful feeling like I had a power of a Mack truck in me. I don't know how to describe it. And I, and I had this maneuver that could do this, what they call the crane condyle lift that could actually lift the skull off the, the spine. And I said to myself, uh, if I'm not willing to have him die in my hands, I can't raise the dead with my hands. It's a little quote that I learned from an ancient healing philosopher. And I thought, okay, we're, it, I'm going to take the risk and just see what happens. Because, I mean, yeah. I don't know what to There's happen no to my choice. This. I'm just going to do it. Because, I mean, he have got no place to go. And no. I just took a risk. As I lifted that skull with this powerful movement, he came out of his coma. You're it was kidding. unbelievable. Came right out of the coma. And he screamed. Oh, and he just made oh. all this whining noise. He couldn't. It was not coherent. It was just this whining sound. The whole family went on their knees. They were Catholic. They, they just went to their knees and prayed. I was blown away. Mm. I saw the four doctors. One of them ran down the hallway and vomited. Mm. She couldn't handle Mm. The other just stared, and here was this boy squirming on the table. Oh. I walked out to let the family be with the child for a minute and just sat there with one of my doctors. And We sat there and just cried, could just hardly speak. cried, yeah. Yeah, because whoa. Whoa. We, we, knew, we knew that the spinal cord expressed life in the body, but we we didn't know what would happen if we took the spinal no, cord scanned off.
1: Yeah, it could it, kill
0: Theoretically. Them. Dead, but there was some still life in the spinal cord. Anyway, this boy went on to gain 20 pounds, up to 78 pounds. We took him off the tube. We got him to move. We had everybody in the family take a joint in his body and move his joints to remobilize him. And sometimes I think we probably tore some ligaments doing it. Yeah. But we got mobility. And um this boy came out of it. And I have a picture here with me of um. The boy actually graduating from high school.
1: You're killing me. Yeah. Why is this not a? Why is Isn't not? It? Why have I never heard this story?
0: Uh, this is a, I don't get to share it too often. I did many years ago. I haven't practiced in a long time. But but all I know is that that was a um wow. a moment that you just you know it's probably like you had with your mom when yeah. you saw incremental progress. You yeah, just go, yeah. We're not stopping. Yep. No. Stopping. Just grind. You, and, you, you and, and I think that. that that's a metaphor. That's a metaphor. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter what you've gone through. Doesn't matter what you've been through. What matters is do you have something that you're striving for? Yeah. And are you to do some incremental movement towards that? Yeah. what else just said, oh, he's got a diagnosis. Diagnosis means through knowledge, supposedly, <laughs> but it could also mean die to an agnosis <laughs> who don't know. <laughs> even the, even the doctor don't know, but the reality is we came out of the coma and I had over the next few months, I had some amazing cases of a boy that was blind and couldn't walk and all of a sudden see and walk again. I had oh my gosh. You know, a boy that was uh, paralyzed, quadriplegic and he was able to walk. I mean, I had some amazing stuff happen. When you're willing to do what other people aren't willing to do, you're willing to experience what other people don't get to experience.
1: Yep. That is just so powerful, and I'm just like absolutely blown away from that story because I, I mean, I know with my mum who was only in a coma for three weeks, and had you know stroke and so on, and and the 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 spasticity and the things that I've had to deal with, the whole vestibular system being completely offline. She was like a rag doll, having to reprogramming her from this from this from being a baby basically to being an adult within that three year period with a body that is now like seventy nine years old. And you know, uh the doctor's going like your brain can't change that much. And 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 just going, nah, I I'm I'm gonna keep going. I'm only listening to people who tell me I can do something. I'm not listening to anybody who tells me I can't do something. And this is something that I've I've really integrated into my entire life, like as a as an athlete doing, you know, stupidly long ultramarathon distances. I was always told you can't do this and you can't do that. It's impossible. And I was like, We'll see. You know, I'm going to throw everything at it, and that was my passion at the time. I've now retired from doing the stupid distances because I've got other missions on in life. But whatever it is, is always the big mission, and there, everybody comes up against people who tell you you can't do it, and this is one well, of the biggest limiting things that I see. That's,
0: that's what Einstein said. You know, greatness is automatically, you know, pounded by mediocre minds. Wow. I had a boy. A boy attended my breakthrough experience who had a surfing accident and became, um, you know, arms and legs not working. Yep. He could move his neck. Wow. And uh, he got a little bit of function slowly into the hands. That was about it, just a tiny bit. And I remember him then wheeling him in and having him kind of strapped to a, a, a wheelchair. And I knew the, the father and I knew his brother. And there were doctors who were colleagues of mine and they brought him, they flew him literally from Los Angeles over to Texas to come to the Breakthrough Express. And I remember him looking straight down, really depressed, suicidal because he was a surfer and he was on his way to being a great surfer. And he just, if he couldn't surf, he didn't want to live kind of thing. And uh, I remember getting on my knees and looking up at him at this chair, and I said, it all determines inside you what you decide. I don't know what the limit you have in your body. I don't know what you can repair. I don't know what you can do. I don't want to say you can't, but all I know is that if you're going to, you're going to have to put everything into it. You're going to have to, you're going to have to have no turning back kind of attitude. It's got to be a relentless pursuit of your master plan yep. to serve. So his name is Jesse Billauer. And, uh, he um, he made a decision at the breakthrough experience that nothing was going to stop him from surfing again. Nothing. What? I mean, it was really, the room was absolutely applauding him and was, uh, the, the, the before and after in that weekend was so astonishing that it was tear jerking. Well, about 17 years ago, 16 and a half years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to get, I was living on the Gold Coast of Australia. Mm -hmm. I had many homes. I had New York and different places. But I had one on the Gold Coast of Australia in Aria. Lived in the penthouse of Aria. And uh, all of a sudden, I found in my entrance of my penthouse, which you only can get into with my key. Somebody from downstairs put it in there like mail. A a DVD video of a surfing movie called (laughs) Stepping, Stepping Into Liquid. And uh, when I pulled that up and put that in there, there was Jesse Billauer surfing. Wow. He had he found never, a way. He, he, he found a way of using his head muscles and designing uh, a special vehicle, a transport system, a surfboard. And he had to have somebody take him out into the water and push him. But once he got <laughs> on a wave, his head movements we're, were able to, to ride. And he was riding like twelve foot waves, which is twenty-foot face waves. And and he was doing that. And he was an inspiration. He became <laughs> friends with Superman, who had, you know, a quadriplegia. And they became friends and he created a foundation to do something. But he taught people how to go surfing as a quadriplegic. <laughs> so you know, when the Y is big enough, the house take care of themselves. You've proven yeah. that in your book. Yeah. But you know, you you even you know, what little I've done in my life compared to some of these kind of stories is just astonishing what I see sometimes people do. I mean, mind-blowing stuff that, that people have had determination to overcome that are absolute inspirations. Yeah, and Inspiration is a byproduct of pursuing something that's deeply inspiring and deeply meaningful through a challenge that people believe is not possible. Yep. that's That's inspiration.
1: And that's how we grow as a human race. And we have these amazing people that do incredible things and these stories. I mean, these are stories that aren't even out there in the world, you know, in a huge way. And there are hundreds of these stories and thousands of these stories and miraculous stories. And these are the things that we should be talking about because they, why why, why are we not studying the outliers? Why are we not? You know, like when I look at my book and my story, which I share and publicly and not a single doctor that had anything to do with my mum ever asked me, Well, how did you do it? Nobody is interested in why she has not taken the normal path and is long gone. Nobody has asked me what did you do? People do. My audience wanna know, my you know, the people that follow me, etc. But nobody that was involved in that case, and I see that over and over again. And I've yeah,
0: it's, it's forcing them to face their own, you might say, uh, belief systems about what they've been taught. The, there's an educated awareness by the herd and then there's a, an innate yearning by the master. And, I, and the, the, the master transcends the herd, if you will. Wow. You, know, you can be a sheep or a shepherd and, and the shepherd is the one that goes out and does things that the sheep are not willing to do. Yeah. But then once they do it, they're, they'll rally around it. You know, they, they're, they're addicted to watching the hero instead of becoming the hero.
1: Wow. Wow. And, and why is it in the, in the medical you know, fraternity that there seems to be a very big herd mentality? Like no, everyone is scared to step outside of their, their norms and they get slammed. And I see this in academia and in science as well where people who have brilliant ideas and hypotheses and st- studies and so on, that just get slammed because it's outside of the
0: current paradigm. Yeah. Well, William James, one of the founders of modern psychology, said, to be great, and, and Emerson followed in suit, to be great is to be misunderstood. Wow. And, and, and William James basically said that you know the majority of people fear rejection from the multitudes because that was survival. People that are in the survival follow the multitude. People that are in thrival create a new paradigm. And at first they're gonna be ridiculed, they're gonna be violently opposed as Schopenhauer and Gandhi said, but eventually it become self-evident and you're either following a culture or building one. And the people (laughs) that build a new culture, they build a new culture of idea. Emerson said in his essays on circles, we rise up and we create a new circle of possibility and then that becomes the new norm until somebody comes up and breaks through that concentric sphere with another circle. You know, it's like the four minute mile. I had a gentleman on my program the other day who is striving to be the fastest runner in the world. Wow. He's got uh, bronze and silver medals, but he hadn't got the fastest running. And he's not stopping. He's working sometimes eight to 13 hours a day on this project. Wow. But I believe the, the way he's so determined to do it and how he works on it. And he doesn't need a coach telling him what to do. He just does it. Yep. He's inspired to do it. He'll be the fastest runner. He won't stop till he's the fastest runner in the world.
1: Yeah, and then lead the
0: way. Determination that to to be great at that one thing, find that one thing that you really target like a like a magnifying glass on that you become the greatest at. That's the thing. I, mine was, you know, human deve- development, human behavior. I want to have the broadest and greatest width of information about that. And that's my one thing. But each individual has something that they can excel at. And if they just define it and give them so permission at it and say thank you, but no thank you to the opinions, the cheapest you know, the, the, the opinions are the cheapest commodities on earth. That, that which circulates the most has the least value. There's tons of those. Yep. But those opinions aren't what matter. It's not you comparing yourself to other people, it's you comparing your daily actions to what's deeply meaningful to you and the highest priority actions daily. That's so what you get excited.
1: How do you like this is a, a problem that I face. Um you get to a certain level of success and, and, and achievement and then you you start getting lots of offers and, and opportunities and so on and you start to lose the focus of you, you get distracted from the things that are happening and in, in, in this day and age where, you know, the internet and everything there ends up like i get uh the shiny object syndrome <laughs> and start oh this is an extremely interesting uh area of study and i go down that path and then i go down that path and then i go down that path and um it, it is adding to the whole picture of a general education and as someone who's studied as much as you have um you've obviously you know it encompassed all of these areas, but I think what I'm asking is how do you find out what your highest priority is, and how do you get a team around you so that you're not limited? I think there's a lot of business people that are listening to this, me included in this, who are struggling to get past a certain ceiling because. Their area of genius is one thing that they love and they're excelling at, and you'd like to spend all of your time doing that, but you're stuck in the groundhog day of admin and technology and the stuff that you hate and not busting through because financially you can't delegate to people. You've also got to find people that are, you know, a good fit for you who can do the jobs um, and then also have the finances to be able to break through to that next
0: level. Can you, well, you talk know, to that a bit? Yes, absolutely. When I was 27 years old, I was just starting my practice, and I was doing a little of everything, anything and everything, just to get the thing cranking. And I had one assistant that I hired, but I realized I was doing way too many trivial things. And you know that will burn you out after a while if you're doing stuff that's not really what your specialty is. And I went to the bookstore and I got a book by Alec McKenzie called The Time Trap. And um, I read this book. As I read it, I underlined it and extracted notes like I do. And I decided to put together a little sheet form and I'll share that because it was a gold mine. I made a list of every single thing that I do in a day over a three month period because each day I had sometimes different things to do but I wrote down everything I might be doing of those three months in a day. And I just wrote them all down. And I don't mean broad generalities like, you know, marketing or this type of thing or radiographs or whatever. I mean the actual actions, the actual moment by moment actions I do in those categories. And I made a list of those and it was a big list. And I looked at it and then right next to that list, every single thing I did from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, everything home, personal, professional, I want to know what my day looked. like. I want to be an honest, objective view. What am I actually doing with my day? Cause if I want to create my life the way I want, I've got to take a look at what I'm actually doing. Cause if I'm not doing things to give me the results, no wonder I'm not getting there. Mm. I made that list and right next to it in column number two of six columns is how much does it produce per hour? Which is a measure of actually meeting somebody's need as a service and people willing to pay. How much does that produce per hour? And that was humbling because there was a whole lot of stuff that I was While doing. Producing. Wasn't <laughs> I was, I was minoring in majors and majoring in minors. And I was doing all <laughs> kinds of stuff that was just cost, no return. Wow! And I stopped and I looked at that and that was humbling and frustrating and a bunch of stuff went through my mind. I mean, I just, but I had to be honest with myself. What does it actually produce? And I extrapolate. If I spent two hours on it, what is it per hour? I cut it in half. If I spent 30 minutes on it, I double the number to get an idea of what it is per hour. And there's a lot of stuff that was not making anything. And there was a few things that were making a lot. And the third column I wrote down, how much meaning does it have? How, how much is it that makes me inspired to get up and do yeah, it? Because I can't wait to do that people can't wait to get. Those are the things I want to target. So I looked at it on a one to 10 scale, how much meaning it was. And I made a list on a one to 10 scale of every one of those items. How inspired am I to do that? And there was a lot of stuff on there that was not inspiring that mm-hmm. I didn't want to do. And yeah. I thought, hell, I went to 10 years of college for this, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I made this list and I put this one to 10 thing. And then I prioritized the 10s down to the ones and I prioritized productivity down from the ones that made thousands of dollars an hour to nothing an hour. And I just prioritized them. And then I looked and there were some that were overlapped where the thing that was most meaningful and inspiring matched where it was most productive. And I prioritized that based on the two together. And that was right. really eye-opening. Yeah. And then I yeah. went to the next one because I realized that I, if I don't delegate, I'm trapped. Yeah. Then I, then I put, what does it cost? Every cost, not just salary, but training costs, yeah. you know, hiring costs, parking costs, insurance costs, everything. What is the cost of, of somebody excelling at doing what it is I'm doing at a greater job than me? What would it cost? On every one of those items the best I could. So I had to just guess on some of them, but I extrapolated the best I could. And then I prioritized it based on spread, how much it produced versus how much it cost. And then I put another column in how much time am I actually spending on average. And in the final column, I wrote down, what are my final priorities with all these variables? in, And I did a very thorough prioritization system there. And then I sliced those into 10 layers (laughs) and then I put a job description, I put a job description on that bottom layer and hired somebody to do that b- bottom layer. And wow. it took me three people to get the right person because I had to learn about hiring. I didn't know how about yeah. hiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally got the first, the person there and that was freed, And that allowed me to go up a notch. And then I hired the next layer. And what I did is it allowed me to go and put more time into the thing to produce the most, which was actually sharing a message of what I was doing publicly Yeah, with with speaking, public speaking was my my door opener. Yeah, and I just kept knocking out layers. In the next eighteen months, my business tenfolded in increase in income and business. Wow! And I had twelve staff members and five doctors working for me in a five thousand square foot office from a under a thousand square foot original office in eighteen months. Wow! Because I. I, I said goodbye to anything that weighed me down. Anytime you do something that's lower on your values, yeah, you value yourself. Yeah. And anytime you do something high on your values, you value yourself. And the world values you when you value you. And it's waiting for you to, to get authentic and live by the highest values, which is your ontological identity, the thing you really revolve around. Yeah. My highest value is teaching, so I call myself a teacher, right? Yeah. So whatever that highest value is, if you prioritize your day and fill your day with high-priority actions inspire you, it doesn't fill up with low-priority distractions that don't because it's now you're allowing yourself to be authentic. And it doesn't cost to properly delegate. If you get the right people and you go on and do what produces more per hour, it doesn't cost. It makes that's, money. That's, it the more. Hard,
1: that's the hard part, isn't it, is, is,
0: is growing. You, you do your responsibilities and go do the thing that knocks down the doors and goes and does the deals. And then go and let them do all the the, the crazy work. Like when I was 27, that's the last time I ever wrote a check or did payroll or looked at bills. I never looked at that again because that's a $20 an hour job and I could make, you know, way more speaking and and doing my doctoring. So I thought I'm not doing anything that's going to devalue me ever again in my life. I've never gone back. 38 years, I've never gone back. And you are uh, so you know,
1: systematized. This is, uh, I think, yeah, we're yeah. have a bit of a problem, a bit of a chaos,
0: brain. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm an ignoramus when it comes to anything other than research, write, travel, and teach. That's it. I, <laughs> I, I'm useless. I'm, I'm, I do jokes and say, you know, when, I, when I'm having, I want to make love with my girlfriend, I, t- I tell her, I put my arms around. I said, if I was to organize and have Hugh Jackman or Brad Pitt take care of lovemaking for you on my behalf, because they're more effective at that, would you still love me? <laughs> I'm not one time as she said, no, I will still love you more. <laughs> I'll I delegate, that. delegate that one. <laughs> delegate it. I'm joking. That's a joke. But the point is that if you're not delegating lower priority things, you're trapped. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, and this is the dilemma, I think of, of, of small businesses is, is, is getting that mix right and not taking on people before you can, Go to that next level. Well, no,
0: but you go. You go to the next level by taking them on if it's done properly.
1: <laughs> if it's done properly, because I've, I've you, you mean, know i make
0: sure. Yeah, that's why I have a value determination process on my website to determine the values of people I hire because wow. if, if they're if they're not inspired to do what I need to delegate, that's not the right person. Yep, you got to the right people on the bus as Colin says, and then I have to be clear about what I can produce if I go and do these other things, and me speaking. it, and me doing the doctoring on the highest priority patients yeah. was way more productive financially than me doing those other things. Yeah. So once I got on that and I put something in place just to book speeches and just to make sure that I was scheduled and filled my day with schedules with patients, it was a dead oh, day why you went? And I've uh, never gone back to that. I, I, I only research, write, travel, teach. That's it. That's my dream. I'm going to get there. <laughs> yeah, I don't do it. And what's interesting is I became financially independent doing that because of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Because I, I learned that if I don't value myself and I don't pay myself, other people aren't going to pay me. They're yeah. waiting for you to value you. And when you value you, the world values you and you pay yourself first. Other people pay you first. And it's a reflection economically there. And that's what allowed me to to do it. So because financial independence isn't for debauchery it isn't for the fun life in my, my opinion. No. It's for making sure that you get to do what you love because you love it, not because you have to do it.
1: And having an impact in the world. So if you if you're stuck doing the admin and the technological stuff and the crap that goes along with the business. You're, going to and be and you're, not, yourself. you're not impacting the world like you want to be impacting well the, the individual
0: that does the administration is impacting the world through the ripple effect by giving you the freedom to do it. Exactly. But, but that's what they love doing.
1: Yeah. That's not what I love and that's doing. not what I love
0: doing. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> you know, but there are people that love administration. They love that stuff. They love behind the scenes. They love doing that. Finding those people—that's the key.
1: Finding those people—that's given me a bit of encouragement because I've been in that sort of a groundhog days. How do you get through
0: the ceiling and get to the next level of reach? You know, well, I, I, I finally realized that this—the the cost of hiring somebody is insignificant compared to the freedom that it provides if you do your priority.
1: If you get your stuff right and know because, what you know, the
0: energy your energy goes up the second you're doing what you love doing, uh, and that draws business to you.
1: Absolutely, I mean, like doing what we're doing now. This is my happy place. Yeah, this I can is tell. my. We're, we're,
0: both, we're <laughs> both in our element. This is why we're. we're, this why we're this. People are probably going, "What? Uh, uh, slow down!" You know, but, <laughs> but the point is, the, the point is, when you're doing something you love to do, when you're on fire with kind of an enthusiasm, people come around to watch you burn. And they they want to see you on fire.
1: I mean, no. they do. They do. Yeah. And they, and I've seen that in times in my life where I've been preparing for a big race or something and I need sponsors. And I just go out there on, and at the start, I didn't know how to do a sponsor proposal. I didn't know how to do any of that fancy stuff. I just went out there and told the story. And by sharing the story, people are like, I want to get on board with that. That's exciting, yeah. and yeah. you know people would come on and 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 when you don't know, one of the things that I've found in life is the less you know, sometimes the more audacious you are, and you don't when when you actually have too much knowledge sometimes about the implications of what you're doing is
0: when you can actually limit yourself. You yeah, know. because you're getting the herd instinct running on all the limitations. Yes. You know, yep. When when you're inspired by something and there's no turning back, there's there everybody deep inside wants to be like that. So when they see somebody like that, they want to, they want to engage, but you want to invest in inspiration, not rescue desperation. That's a basic law. Uh-huh. Invest in inspiration, not rescue desperation. Uh-huh. Nobody wants to, you know, rescue desperation unless they're compassionately in desperation and they're feeling hurt themselves. But if you take somebody and you, you show them what's possible, you know, when Elon Musk goes out there and he has three explosions in a, in a, in a month, you know, on the way to Mars, you know, they don't make it. He, he doesn't give up. He just goes. Oh, we're going to build another one. They're like, okay, it's a billion dollars. Let's let's spend five billion if we have to, but we're going to Mars.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, that's, it, that, setbacks are, are are nothing more than feedbacks. That's that's the person who's who's inspired by yeah, something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that perseverance, I think, and that you know, the title of my book there is relentless. You know, for a reason because you have to be like no matter what. And there, in, in in that journey, there were months without progress. There would be months when we would see absolute nothing, and that was with, you know, all day, every day working on it and and then seeing nothing. And people would come to me and they'd say, why are you putting her through this torturous regime every day? Why don't you just let her be, make her comfortable? And I don't do comfortable. Comfortable is not a part of my vocabulary. Comfortable is where you go to die. You know, like we, we can be comfortable for an hour in the evening while we're watching Netflix. That's it. The rest of the day
0: that's what i say about breaks if, if you you know I, I say my job is to make you feel comfortable being uncomfortable that's the, comfortable that, being that, uncomfortable i'm going to make you comfortable being uncomfortable yep. because unless you're outside your comfort zone it's not gonna there's no stretch you know yep, there's no it's you're like, not out of like bodybuilding if you don't push yourself a little further you know i i started out doing a this year the, the, the last year i started out doing you know 25 push-ups i went to 50 push-ups, went to 75 push-ups, went to 100, broke 100. Wow. And I just kept adding another one, just kept doing it, trying to go and get my push-ups up.
1: And and on that point, like how have you stayed looking still like a teenager? Like what is it that – is this the knowledge that you have? Like you just don't seem to age from one decade. I was
0: 17 when I started. I'm almost 67 now. All I did is that means I only added five, one, two, three, four, five, so every decade, we just one number. So I've only added five five numbers to my age you know, since I was seventeen. That's that's the way I look at it.
1: Well, it looks like that. So you know, are there, are there some secrets to that? What is it that keeps you looking in? I don't live
0: to eat; I eat to live. Wow, that's a biggie. You know, I I don't I don't pig out. I don't binge. I don't eat junk. I make sure that I'm eating performance. If you have something deeply meaningful that you want to do on a daily basis. You refine your diet into something that gives you performance. Yep, that's that's it. And I drink a lot of water, and I, you know, I don't, I and haven't had three cups of coffee my whole life. I don't, I haven't had alcohol in forty-eight plus years. Wow. I don't, uh, you know, I've, I've got a pretty simple life. Pretty I simple
1: that's, life, that's, and and you know, and I'm doing what I love every balance. day. I I
0: love what I'm doing, and that makes a difference. You don't age as much. Your you cytokines, age. your inflammatory responses are down. You don't have distress. You have stress, You have hormesis. And you move forward when you're doing something you really love to do every day.
1: Wow. So, no stress, good diet, none of the bad I'm delegating stuff. I delegate
0: all my stress to other people. <laughs> <I'm delegating, laughs> you know, Hugh Jackman, they got the stress. You know, they're the ones that are going to have to go through all that gyration and make love with me. No, I'm joking. But, no, <laughs> but I delegate stress to other people who would yep. love to take Yeah. Yep.
1: And, and that's, oh man, there's just so much gold in that. So, what are some of the stuff else that you do, you talk about in the, the breakthrough experience? Talk me through a little bit of the process that you get people to take. And so, well, and, and, and then we'll the, look at where, how, how people can join the breakthrough. One of those experience.
0: is owning a traits to the greats. See, I always say at the level of the essence of the soul, which is the, the real authentic self, you might say. Yep, yep. Um, nothing's missing in you. But the level of your senses, things appear to be missing in you. And sometimes we compare ourselves to others. We put them on pedestals. We put them in pits. We put them above us or below us, greater or lesser than us. Yes. And we don't have an equal sign. So there's no equanimity and equity in there. Wow. And as long as we do, we're going to inject their values and try to live in their values, which is futile, or project our values and try to get them to live in our values, which is futile. And all that futility energy is what drains people. Wow. When you actually start to do something that is authentic to you and are more objective, filling your day with high priorities. Think about when you really got really knocked it out of the ballpark and you stuck to priorities in the day, you come home, you're resilient, you can handle anything. But if you, if you put out fire and just had nothing but low priority stuff during the day and you felt like, man, I never got to what was important today. What a day. You're a bear when you come home and that runs your immune system down. So owning the traits of the greats, finding out what it is around you, the heroes and villains around you own them. So you're not thinking, Oh, I need to be like them or they need to be like me. Just own it all. And I'll give yourself to realize that if you're admiring somebody, it's because you're too humble to admit what you see in them inside you. It's not missing. It's there. You haven't seen it. Become aware of it in your own form, in your own value system. Don't compare yourself to them. Compare your daily actions to what you value most and stick to priority.
1: And so, so when you start to think that someone else, because we do this all the time, we're comparing ourselves. You meet someone on the street and you're like, oh, they're better looking than me, they're, they're richer than me, they're this or that. Doing that act actually
0: diminishes what you but feel But they about don't yourself. have a better life than you. That's what's so funny. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've met a lot of celebrities, yeah. a lot of world-impacting people, probably three 4,000 of them now. And, and they're just human beings. And we think, oh, my God, they've got this great glitzy life. No, they don't. I know some celebrities that can't go outside without the paparazzi and they have to go flying, you know, into an Island to hide somewhere, you know, and they, so they have, they have have challenges that you probably don't want, but the reality is they're not better. They're just different. Yeah. And that's the, that's the realization. They have a different set of values. They have a different set of quote successes and failures. And if you compare yourself to them, you're going to minimize yourself. Yeah. But if you actually go and find out what you see in them inside you in your own form, Otherwise, you're going to do what Einstein said. You're going to be a cat trying to swim like a fish, beating yourself up, or a fish trying to climb a tree like a cat, beating yourself up. <laughs> honor that you're a cat. You know, I'm a professional speaker. I honor that. I don't try to waver from what I know I'm here for.
1: Yes, I love that. And, and you know, that's like understanding your genetics. I, I teach genetics and, and epigenetics, and um, that's a part of it. Understanding who you are, owning who you are, instead of trying to be someone that you're not. Looking at the bad and the good and the ugly, it is what it is. And how do we make the best well, out of you know,
0: no matter, no matter how ugly you are in the world, there's somebody out there that is going to lo- love to look at you. Yeah. That's what's funny. I was in Antarctica. I live on a ship, as you know, and I, I, we sailed down to Antarctica. And uh, there was what five a... million penguins along. I mean, as far as you could see, there's penguins. And I watched the penguins, and there were some really gimpy-looking penguins that weren't that attractive. <laughs> <laughs> but I found if I waited there and watched long enough, another gimpy penguin found him and they mated with him. It was it was lovely. And then there was this really flaring, you know, debonair penguin, right? That just had a perfect <laughs> tuxedo on. And there's this beautiful penguin. There was a penguin for everybody. And I could see all my friends and their personalities in these penguins. It was quite interesting. So it's in the eye of the beholder, beauty and, and Absolutely. That. the same thing. We tend to think, well, they've got a better deal. No, they don't. They have a different deal.
1: They have a different deal. And you, yeah, and it's about you finding your priority, living your best life, living your optimal performance, and not getting yourself in the way and not letting other people control
0: what that is. You know, if, that you, is. if you don't empower your own life, people overpower you. Rose Kennedy had a mission statement. I actually was given a book by a woman who was a patient that her father gave her the book, and her father got that book from the Kennedy family. So this was handed down from the Kennedy family to a father, to a daughter, to me. And in there, I was going through this book, and it was on magnetism. It's an amazing book. And in there was a handwritten note by Rose Kennedy, and it was her mission statement. And wow. it said, I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. Wow, and That was her mission statement. <laughs> There's so a mother, and I've had mothers come up to me and say, well, is that enough? And I go, <laughs> I read that to them. Anytime I have a mother that's thinking, oh, I should be a businesswoman, or I should yeah. be this, or I should be that, but they really, really want to raise kids, but they're comparing themselves and they're thinking that's not enough. I read that to them
1: Yeah.
0: because th- she created world leaders as a mother.
1: And she that's the ripple effect,
0: isn't it? That that's the ripple effect. Because has. her heart was there. Yeah. Her heart was willing to be a mother. And we sometimes go, oh, well, they're doing this. So I should be doing this. Anytime you hear yourself saying, I should, I ought to, I'm supposed to, I got to, I have to, I must, or I need to, you're living under the imperatives of other people that you've subordinated to. And you're injecting values, which is clouding the clarity of your own mission Wow! and giving yourself permission to get your mission back and saying, thank you, but no thank you to options of who you are and give you know truth to who you are. That's what's liberating. Be an unborrowed visionary, not a borrowed visionary.
1: Wow, man. It's <laughs> just one uh, value bomb after the other, I think, in, in, in this conversation. And it's just so empowering because, you know, you, 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 as human beings, we, we, we have this imposter in the head that's telling us we're not good enough. We aren't this, we aren't that. And we also have this subconscious that's running the ship. So we downloaded a whole lot of stuff when we were young that we didn't, you know, when did you choose your beliefs? You know, when did you choose your value system? When did you choose that you were going to be limited in this way or that way? It was probably before you even were able to understand. How do people get into that subconscious and start to reprogram?
0: Because a lot of people listening to this go, yes, 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 I want to be like that. And then yeah, but the thing is, is they, they set up a fantasy. Mm-hmm. See, the, as long as you have a fantasy, your life becomes a nightmare. You got to set a real objective, something you're willing to embrace pain and pleasure in the pursuit of. If you're not willing to bring, embrace both pain and pleasure, support and challenge, ease and difficulty, in the pursuit of it, it isn't your mission. Because that's the sign of the mission. You're willing to do whatever it takes, travel whatever distance, pay whatever prices, as that happened to me. So, so if you're looking, if, if you're in your amygdala, you're gonna want to avoid predator and seek prey, avoid pain, seek pleasure. You're in the hedonistic pursuit, which is immediate gratification and yeah. short-term outcomes. Yeah. The person that's in the executive center has an executive vision. And they have a strategic planning and they want to think it through. When you go and run massive marathons, you sit down and go, okay, what's the diet? What am I? How many, what's my workout? What are the obstacles? What happens if I get too hot? What happens? You think of yep. everything and yep. prepare. Yep. And you have foresight. And people with foresight, you know, get ahead. And people that live in hindsight are always reacting. Yep. And what number, number one thing that stops that is giving power to other people that you put on pedestals. We're not here to put people on pedestals. We're not here to live in their shadows. We're here to stand on their shoulders as Newton did. So our job is to, whatever we see in other people, own the trade to great. That's what I do in the Breakthrough Experience. What is it I admire about them and where do I have it until it's quantitatively and qualitatively equal so they're no longer up on this pedestal and I'm no longer minimizing. Because if I set a goal that matches their values, I'm gonna beat myself up. When you have self-critical statements inside your head, that's not a bad thing. That's letting you know you're pursuing something that's not you. <laughs> That's a feedback. And the really? second you get onto what the navigation you, you don't have that. I've demonstrated that in thousands of people. The second wow. they get onto them, they get tears of gratitude. They know what it is. That disappears. That's a homing device to try to get you to set real goals with real objectives that are deeply meaningful and quit trying to be somebody you're not.
1: Wow. That that okay, so well what about things like you know, you know your amygdala? you talked about the amygdala and your your prefrontal cortex and your your executive function and the what happens with people who have uh, I had Dr. Austin Pilmitter on the show, Dr David Pilmer's son, who's um, written a book called Brainwash. And he talks about the separation between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex of the connection the the, the the conversation isn't going backwards and forwards and in people with brain injuries for example, or with a lot of inflammation because they've been eating wrong foods or exposed to toxins so there's an actual physical thing how can people get that amygdala under control because we uh, so many people, whether it's from a brain injury or from bad foods or whatever are living in this amygdala state where they're in a reactive, immediate gratification, make the short-term decisions, not looking at, and this is affecting us worldwide. This is not only on the individual level, but also- lead,
0: Even some leadership levels, people are doing it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the is, the, 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 we have neuroplasticity, you know that. Yeah. The neuroplasticity allows you know neurogenesis, it can reactivate neurogenesis. And we can remyelinate with our oligodendrocytes. We can remyelinate that internal system. And the astrocytes yep. and oligodendrocytes are sitting there, building and destroying these things, are remodeling Boom these hard. things. Yeah, yeah. Now, every time we live by the highest priority, the highest value, the prefrontal cortex starts getting myelinated, and the neurogenesis and the neurons going from the prefrontal cortex with gl- gl- glutamate and GABA, the yep. regulators of the amygdala, yep. calm down the impulses and instincts of the amygdala that causes to have these fantasies and nightmare states. These distractions. So, the second we start to go back to priority, the blood glucose and oxygen starts going up into the forebrain and starts myelinating that area of the brain. And we can neuroplastically do it if we stick to priority. But what we do is we're subordinating and fearing rejection and holding on to fantasies as a result of that that aren't matching what we really are committed to. And we think we know ourselves, but we don't. Getting clear about it. that's why I have on my website the value determination process to get clear about what you really value. Because most people, If I ask people how many want to be financially independent, every hand goes up. Mm. And then I say, well, how many are financially independent? All the hands go down. Mm. I said, you really don't have a desire for financial independence. You think you do. You Mm. have a desire to spend money on immediate gratifying, you know, consumables that depreciate in value. That's what your life's demonstrating. You need to face the fact about what your values are and know what those values are. If you want to really achieve what you say you're going to achieve. So, a lot of people don't really have that. They say they want something, but that's not really what their life's demonstrating. They're not weird. I want to know what their life's demonstrating they're committed to and structure their life around that. That's what upgrades the myelinization on the forebrain.
1: Wow. And so it's not just the, the foods that we're eating and the things like well, the, the actual foods are physical. A part of it. That's part of yep, it. That's part the of inflammatory
0: it. responses. But a lot of the inflammatory responses are associations made in the brain on things that are supportive or challenging of your body. So if you perceive something challenging you, you'll have a an, kind of an anti effect on it. You'll have a, you know, I always say that if you've got shame and guilt or whatever, you're going to literally have an autoimmune response attacking parts of your body. Yep, of yep, yep. Yep, yeah, yeah, so your, your body and brain is doing that. It has this capacity to do that. And, and the little microglial cells are actually part of the immune system. They're actually doing that to help apoptosis to destroy cells in the brain that aren't being used. If you don't use it, you lose it. And yeah. if you're looking for immediate gratification to get a quick fix because you're unfulfilled, you'll you're not going to spend energy on glucose and oxygen and blood up in the forebrain because you don't need it. That's why you have to set the priority, fill your day with the highest priority actions on a daily basis, and rebuild your brain.
1: Well, and that that, that filters down onto all of these other levels, the physical levels, the autoimmune your system, image are...
0: changes. Your, your momentum starts to build. Your, your confidence goes up. Your self-worth goes up. Your space and time horizons expand. You automatically start walking your talk instead of limping your life. And your amygdala calms down its myelinization and the forebrain pick it up. Welcome to the executives.
1: Welcome to the executive. The one that the
0: adults back in the room and the kids. Yeah, the adults and not the wild animal. Yeah. And what's interesting is, is the, the executive function, that forebrain has fibers that go to V5, V6 in the visual cortex. And activate vision, and it goes down into the decision makings for strategic planning, and it goes to the associative motor functions to get spontaneous action, and it calms down the amygdala, the nucleus accumbens, and the pallidum. It calms them down and gets them ready for an inspired action.
1: Wow, I'm I'm just absolutely mind blowing of your knowledge of the brain and how that all that all works because this is this is the. I mean, I've been you know deep in the study, obviously with brain injuries and repair and, and and the short-term thinking problem that we have in, in society in general and in my own life. I've seen it. You know, I see, you know, when, when I go and do things that I don't want to be doing because I'm look um, in an out-of-balance state, I'm stressed for some reason, and so you go and do something that you go, why did I do that? You know, and it's understanding this whole interplay of the body and the mind. Um, that that is just so powerful, and and for people who have diseases or autoimmune diseases or you know cancers, and and, and what is what is your take on how much the mind actually affects your bodily
0: systems? In given what we've just talked well, about, I, I wrote a thousand-page text on the mind-body connection, uh, which is a you know what the messages of the body kind of thing, and I uh, through through perception. The ratios of perception impact through perception going into autonomics, the autonomic nervous system. If you have a perception, you've got more support than challenge. Your parasympathetic comes online. You get more challenges where your sympathetic comes online. Yep. Those create neurotransmitter ratios. Those create epigenetic impacts because they literally cause kinase and phosphatase yep. responses and acetylation and methylation. Yep, And they these these are basically changing our physiology creating symptoms in our body and and most people don't take the time to look at applied physiology I've been focusing on applied physiology since I was 23. Wow and studying exactly what exactly is that cell do yeah so I take a cell and I look at every receptor and I look at every neurotransmitter and every modulator and hormone and and you know and I look at those and neuro regulators and I look at what triggers those what parts of the brain what what autonomic component what hypothalamic component, you know, what what transmitters are involved in that? And I look at that and I look at what are the symptoms that are coming out of that. And then I look at the combination of those symptoms that we call a condition. And there's no doubt in my mind, there's psychology sitting inside there. No doubt Mm -hmm. in my mind. Watching that and paying close attention to that. And I wrote this big textbook on that just for that reason. And then what happens is people are so used to not wanting to take accountability for their own thing. They want to blame some outside source and they want to look for some sort of solution. The, 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 the bug and the antibiotic, right? The, the <laughs> evil spirit and the savior kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah, all yeah. dissociated. They're not taking accountability for their perception, decisions, and actions in life. And I'm, I'm more about educating people on what their physiology is doing. Yep. For instance, if a person goes and binges and pigs out, which most everybody's done at least once in their life. Yep. Yeah. And they do. And they wake up with kind of puffy eyes, uh, nasal congestion, a little bit of a headache, a little nausea, stomach cramps, maybe some diarrhea the next day. Well, you go to the, mat- the, the allopathic physician and he's going to say, Well, you've got an ant- acid you need, an antioxidant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And they give you six pills. I know. And, and, and all your body was doing is creating the normal physiological response when yeah. you pigged out. Yeah. Your and body going to add you- all these problems to it. But, but the thing is, is, those symptoms are health. That's a healthy response to a pig. <laughs> if you're a pig, you're going to get that response. Yeah. If you don't eat that way, you don't have those symptoms. So the symptoms are feedback mechanisms guiding us to an authentic life where we have self-governance. That's the lesson.
1: And when we get a bit, when people get into the downward spiral of eating the wrong stuff and then they have more cravings for the wrong stuff and, you know, it becomes this, this, this mess. And they don't, when you don't understand the whole, how the physiology works and, They don't even link together that the headache today was the the dinner they had last night. They're
0: looking for the immediate gratification pill for every ill. And the pharmaceutical industry loves to make the cash on that. Oh, my God. Their medical reps are out there selling it. And you know what? It's not bad or good. It's just that if you educate yourself and you have options and you're aware, you now realize you have the power to make a difference in your own life. That's the last resort. I haven't had a, a medication in my body for 49 years. Wow. Nothing. No aspirin, no drugs, nothing. I don't, I don't take anything. I drink water. I haven't needed it. I don't have a headache. The only time I ever had a headache when I was doing bark mulch one day, spreading bark mulch on day and got inhaled all this dust and I got a headache. But my body let me know that. But if you listen to your body, it's it's guiding you very wisely. Yeah. If you eat wisely and fill it with wise things, and, and think about how you want to fill your life. If you feel, prioritize your life and do something you really love doing with the people you love doing it and make a career doing it and get paid for it and eat wisely to live, not live to eat, you'd be surprised what your body will cap, is capable of doing.
1: Yeah, and how long it can live and how well it can live, and you're living proof of that. You I, look I, I'm amazing. I'm still cranking.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, It's happening to me tomorrow, but I'm still cranking it out, and i still got more energy than most people, and yeah, I know 30-year-olds that can't keep up with me.
1: No, and, and the brain power. Is not diminished, you know, because this is what a lot of us fear. Like, you know, I don't fear it because I know what to do. Well the, the purpose <laughs> of
0: losing the purpose of losing your mind with Alzheimer's is just to be able to say that I don't know my kids anymore because you want them to move out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that might be a good point. <laughs> like, that's just a joke. That's yes. just, I gotta start joking. You gotta throw so you then, gotta you gotta laugh. Now, at that them. was a stra-
0: that's a strategy to go, I don't remember my kids. Uh, no, yes. no, 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 no.
1: No. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. And, and we can no. see this coming 20 years out, and yet you still talk to people on a daily basis who are facing this in their family, and they don't think they have any power
0: except the drugs. Know, I was contacted by, by Bronnie Ware, who's out there in, in Australia, on the, on the uh, Byron Bay area, and she wrote a beautiful book on you know, the five regrets that people have as they're getting ready to die. And most of them are because people weren't authentic. They did a job they didn't want to do with people yep. they didn't want to do yep. uh, and and were afraid of people rejecting them. And their whole life was basically living, mediocrity living in mediocrity instead fear. of actually excelling. And that's what, that's what kills people. Yep. And, and then what happens, they've been, they got Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. And then they go and, and then work they doing else to do and then blow it on some sort of vacation to escape. And then they're in poverty and then they're distressed and then they, and life went by. Yeah, If you're not doing something you love doing and getting remunerated and handsomely paid doing what you love, you missed out on your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there is nothing evil about having money. I think this is a, oh. another thing that we subconsciously think people who are wealthy must be bad. They must have done it in a way. And I think like this subconscious level.
0: Well, I've, I've been a bad person my whole life. I yeah, just you must be terrible. I was 27. <laughs> I'm a bad person. No, what I've found is that I, I made it a commitment that I was going to master finance just like any other field. Yeah. And I, you know, I read about 1400 books on that topic and so I learned how to do it and I started to save and invest and started doing things. And then I worked my butt off. I got a little ass because I worked Yeah. and I've been serving and serving and serving and serving seven days a week. So I have no problem doing that. And I'm a believer that, that, you know, if you can be a slave to money or you can be a master of it, if you're a slave to it, you're going to work your whole life for it. The people that say, well, Oh you know, I don't want money. It's bad and evil. No. They worked their whole life for it. Yeah, I want it working for me. I make more money off my investments than I do working doing anything else. And yeah. I'd rather have it working for me, and so I can then decide what philanthropic thing I can do with that. I can do a lot exactly. with that.
1: And this is the, this is the power of having, in you know, financial independence. Uh, not that I've got there yet, um, <laughs> but it's been able to have a bigger impact. It's been able to do more with your life. And this yeah. is the frustrating thing that so much talent in the world and so much. Uh, people with with big visions and skills are limited because they didn't have the resources to do it. In that, uh, any care
0: of your life, you don't empower somebody's going to overpower you. So yeah. I made a commitment to empower. I Every wanted to create area. original ideas that serve people and wake up genius. Yeah, I wanted to create an international business globally, which I've done. I yeah. wanted to be able to have financial independence, which I've achieved. I want to have a global family. I, yeah. I, I, my, my partner lives in Turkey. Yeah, <laughs> right wow! Right now, okay, she just left. Just the other day, just left. She's on her way to Turkey right now, flying there. Yeah. So I have that, and she's magnificent. She's one of the top singers, uh, actresses, and models in the world. Wow. So, I, I mean, you can have exactly what you set your mind to do. And I'm, I'm a believer that you can have influence, and you can have a vital body, and you can be inspired and create an inspiring movement for people. There's nothing stopping us from doing what it is that we would really love to do, except us not willing to do the actions to get there.
1: Yeah and getting the knowledge and getting the teachers and getting the books and getting the mentors. And, and we have access to it all now. We have the damn yeah. internet. Like, online. You know, yeah, well, we just, we, we have access. Anyone who says to me, well, I can't go and, you know, like, how did you do that with your mother? You're not a doctor. and I don't need a doctor. I don't need to be you a get medical online and You
0: start digging and start researching. Exactly.
1: And you can become an expert on your particular field pretty quickly if yeah. you're really dedicated to doing that.
0: I, I learned a long time ago when I was in my 20s that if you spend 30 minutes a day on a particular field, studying it intensely at the end of seven years, you can be at the cutting edge. Wow! If you did it an hour, no, an hour a day, you could do it in four years. If you did it two hours a day, two and a half years, if you did it three hours a day, you can do it under two years. Wow! And I dem- I demonstrated that in astronomy. I demonstrated that in dentistry In my field of neurology. I demonstrated, I proved that. And uh, so I'm absolutely certain you can intensify times and times intensity gives results. If you intensify your actions in a shorter period of time, you can get the same results quicker than most people think.
1: How do you retain the information? Because that's one of the problems that I've been, you know, dealing with. I'm, I'm processing so many books, so much information, so many podcasts, so many things all the time. Then, and a lot of it keeps falling out the other side of my, I like to say it goes in one ear and comes out the other. I, I give it, How do it out do you as retain? fast as I get it.
0: The sooner you give it out, the moment you get it, give it out. Teach the, it. The faster, the faster output with input, the more the retention. It's, right. a, it's a basic law. So if I, right. if I go in, so if I'm reading something, I, I used to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, do a little yoga until 2.30, speed read four to seven books by 6.30. I used to just read, 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 read. And then I would go to, to jog and I'd go and clean up and I'd go to class and I'd go to clinic. And then I come back home at seven, and I taught from seven to ten p.m. At ten p.m. I went to bed. and got up at two, and I did it again. Wow! And each night, each night that night, I would teach what I read that morning, and I planned out my what I was going to read. I planned out my teaching, and I had classes every night. People came to there and paid me. You know, uh, while I was a student, I was twenty-three years old, made over a hundred thousand dollars a year just teaching every night, and now that is the result of just the faster I get it, the faster I give it out, and that catalyzed a retention and an integration of information. And so keep using it. Do you use it? You don't lose don't it. Don't
1: wait till you're an expert. And, you know, don't wait till you before you start teaching. Just get it no, out teaching, there right now.
0: Teaching is the fastest way to learn it. Wow. this is it organizes your mind and present. You, to, in order to present it, you, you you have an accountability. Put a deadline on it and teach it. And that's, that's how you learn it.
1: Yeah. And that's forcing yourself to to, to retain it. It's
0: just like saying, if you just save money, you'll get ahead. If you wait until you have extra money, you won't. You never wait for it. You just... You always pay yourself first. I, I learned a long time ago. Don't wait until you have extra money; just pay it, and watch how more money comes to you. When you manage money wisely, you get more money to manage. That's the law.
1: Wow, Doctor John D. Martini, you are <laughs> amazing. You're a legend. Um, I've learned so much today, and in this in this one hour session with you, it went to places that I wasn't expecting. Because you know, I've studied your work. I, I know what you what you do, and yet this absolutely blew me away actually meeting you face to face to feel your energy your passion your uh, compassion for humanity is just next level it's really made my day in fact I'm you know I'm gonna go and change some things uh, up I think because uh, you spoke to me with some of my frustrations that I'm dealing with in my personal life and I know that people that are listening to this will be will be like putting this on repeat so thank you so much for your dedication to to the work that you do, I know you could just sit back and relax now and not do anything, but you haven't, and you never will, I don't think, um, because you just have a passion for humanity and helping where there is suffering and changing people's lives.
0: So thank you so much for for doing all that. Well, so, so, so thank you very much. Some people think I, I cause the suffering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I do. I, I I agree. You probably do in the short term while we're yeah, getting the change.
0: I, I have people that go, you know. You mean you got your money to make me accountable? I said, Yeah, no, you're wanting to fantasy. I'm making you accountable. Let's go. That's the suffering. You haven't got if a little white pill for me. If, if you fill your life with suffering that you love, it's inspiring.
1: <laughs> it is absolutely. And, and, you know, like strength comes from struggle. That's on my boxing club wall, you know, and that is the more you have to fight against something, the more challenged you are by something, the more you are forcing yourself to learn, to grow, to develop, to get stronger. And that yeah. is one of the rules of the world. So you better be comfortable with being
0: uncomfortable that's it thank you brilliant day. that's it this week for pushing the limits be sure to rate review and share with your friends and head over and visit lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com